0: Please take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul defines what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses read as follows. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Notice the power of the gospel. Then he goes on to explain even further, verse three. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel, according to the apostle Paul, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus Christ. That's the definition. Anybody ask you what the gospel is? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we call the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the four accounts of the gospel because they chronicle the death, burial, and resurrection and highlight that more than anything else. The gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection is the absolute centerpiece of the scriptures. The gospel is the hinge pin of human history. It is the power of God to provide salvation to all people. Romans 1 and verse 16. It's all the gospel. It provides that salvation to any and all who are willing to hear it, believe it, receive it, (coughs) obey it, stand in it, and to hold fast to it, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. In the Bible, everything that comes prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ points to it. And every good thing that God has given us after the death, burial, and resurrection comes about as a result of it. The death, burial, and resurrection is the absolute hub, centerpiece, hinge pin of the entire Bible. The gospel is the plan that God had and put in place before the foundation of the world, the results of which will carry on long after the end has come and on into infinity. It is all about the gospel. That amazing, unchanging, grace-laden and life-giving gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is what the Old Testament's prophesied, the Lord Jesus Christ testified, and the New Testament apostles and messengers verified. From beginning to end, the Bible is all about the gospel. Turn with me, for example, to Luke 24. The gospel isn't just a New Testament thing, as it were. The gospel is what the entire Bible is about from beginning to end. Luke 24. Jesus lets us know that himself. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47. Look at what he says when he comes back to his disciples. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The gospel was talked about way back in the Old Testament. It's what it was all about, pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus himself says, hey, those are the things written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms that I've just lived and showed you. They were all about the gospel. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, and arise from the dead, the third day. What's he talking about? His death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel. He said it was necessary for that to happen, <clears throat> verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things he says in verse 48. Once again, the gospel is what the Old Testament prophets prophesied, it's what Jesus testified, it's what the New Testament messengers of his verified. We could turn to a lot of passages just for those that are taking notes. I'm not going to turn there, but Peter's two epistles are bookended by this same thing how the gospel is all about going way back into the Old Testament, and going way up into the New Testament, and everything flowing from both sides of it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, and in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. God's amazing gospel, the amazing gospel, God's glorious plan for saving fallen man It's all one perfectly flowing. It's all one flawless, beautiful, perfect plan from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, from the Alpha to the Omega, from the first word of Genesis 1 1 to the last word of Genesis 22, uh, of Revelation 22, verse 21. Perhaps nowhere in the scriptures is the continuity and the beauty and the flow of this plan seen more so than in Paul's writing to the Church of Christ in first century Ephesus. Turn over with me to Ephesians 3, please. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul talks about this beautiful plan. He's already told us in Ephesians 1 that it's a plan that was in place since before the foundation of the world. And he talks about this plan in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. This plan, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. He said when they were talking about it in the Old Testament, it wasn't made known as fully or like it has been now. There were hints given all along the way. There was this plan in place, and, and God gave little tidbits of it, but it hasn't been made known up until the point of the New Testament like it's made known now. He says, here's the plan. Verse 6 of Ephesians 3, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promises in Christ through the gospel. He said, this is the plan. The plan's called the gospel, the good news. and." It's always been there. And he says, this gospel is one, verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages this gospel, he said, has been there. It's been a plan in place since the beginning of the ages. And it's been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose. you see how it stretches into the future? The eternal purpose. The purpose that God's always had, which he accomplished. Christ Jesus our Lord we tend to think of the gospel as just this little part because we have in our mind this this phrase the four gospels that it's like the gospel is confined to the first four books of the New Testament it's not it is one beautiful flowing plan that was already in place he echoed this in Galatians chapter 3 look what Paul wrote to the churches in the Galatian region In Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9, he echoed that that one same two-phase plan is the same one. One plan, two phases. Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9, look what he says. And the scripture, (coughs) foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying in all the nations, you shall be blessed. When God spoke to Abraham and told him in all the nations he would be blessed, what was he doing? He's giving him a little piece of the gospel. The gospel was already in place at that point. It hadn't been carried out, don't get me wrong, but the plan was already there. And he gave Abraham this little part that looked forward to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know. I think sometimes that we are tempted to think, as we consider our Bibles, that in the Bible, because there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, or an Old Covenant and a New Covenant, and they're very different. Same God, but the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are different in so many ways. Hebrews outlines this. But I think where our Bibles are divided up that way, and and we think of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, sometimes we can be tempted to think that there's two different plans. That God kind of had this people, the Jews, and he tried to help them and tried to make it work with them. And when they failed and that plan failed, God kind of scratched his head and says, I've got to come up with a different plan. That's not what happened. There's only always been one plan. Two phases. Two phases. One gospel plan. And as we read through these scriptures, we can see how the writers were talking about the Gospel in the Old Testament. It was looking forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that we're under a different covenant, a different testament. I I understand that. But it's all part of the one same plan. That's the exact same thing Paul had talked about. I'm not going to take time to read it, but in Ephesians 2, 11 through 21, he talked about how this one plan was for the Jews and Gentiles, it was always the plan, for them to be one body, and it talks about how Christ had had taken down that dividing wall between Jew and Gentile that stood under the old covenant, and now we're all one in Christ Jesus. That's always been the plan, but it's a two-phase plan. If, If you stop and think a minute ago, a few minutes ago, and you either put a check a paper piece of money or coins in the offering plate. Whatever you put in the offering plate, even if you put a visitor's card in the offering plate, the bottom line is is that there were two different sides to that, isn't that right? If you had a coin, obviously you had one side that was very different from the other side. Dollar bill, a check, you look at one side, you look at the other, they're different, right? But they're both parts of the same single bill or coin or check, aren't they? How many of you put a one-sided coin in the plate? Such a thing doesn't exist. A coin, it's got one side, it has to have the other side. They're both part of the same thing. And the two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, are both different phases of the same single plan. Now. We can see that when we really stop and think about the fact that in Galatians 3, 21 through 29, it talks about how the old law was our schoolmaster or tutor to bring us to Christ. Depending on how your version is worded, it tells us that the old law was our tutor or our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The reason for the old law was to show us what it took to be holy before God. It was to teach us that we in and of ourselves can't be holy. Can anybody keep the old law in its entirety? No. Righteousness cannot be gained through the law. Nobody could keep the old law perfectly. There's many passages that tell us this. In fact, the entire Old Testament, or phase one, of that one plan could be summed up this way. We could say that the Old Testament, or phase one, of that plan Records God's portraying to sinful man what it takes to be holy and sinful man's making a total mess of trying to achieve that holiness by himself. How many times is it written in the New Testament that nobody can be justified by keeping the old law? Nobody could be good enough perfect enough on their own. Romans 3:20 says, "Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." When we see everything that God says it takes to be holy, nobody can keep it, but it shows us what sin is. We have other texts that say the same thing. For example, in the book of Galatians we have 3. Galatians 2:16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. He says it again in Galatians 3.11 and Galatians 3.24. The only purpose of phase one of the plan was to show us we can't be perfect in and of ourselves. That was phase one. That was the Old Testament. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Phase two of that same one amazing plan from God, though, gives us a holy God's remedy to redeem us, to clean up the messes we have made, and restore to us everything that we lost in the beginning through sin. The New Testament shows us a loving God's desire and plan and the rest of it, that if we will but go to him and we will lean on him and we will be obedient to him in Christ Jesus, he has provided a way to restore to mankind on a much higher level everything that man lost in the beginning because man sinned and couldn't be holy. Because, after all, that's always been the plan. The one plan. Have you ever stopped to consider how the very last part, the very last book of the Bible (coughs) restores everything that man lost in the very first few chapters of the first book of the Bible? Have you ever stopped to consider that? In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, God gave us many wonderful things through our sin, we lost some of those things. We sullied them. We dirtied them. But as we go through the entire Bible, it's one story from beginning to end. As we go through and we go into the last end of the book, we see everything that we lost in the first part is restored to us on a higher level at the end. God takes care of it in the end if we are in Christ. I want to consider these things this morning because it's a beautiful story. You know, you read some, of these, you read some worldly story, and, and they'll develop a plot and all this. And they always kind of take care of it at the end, right? God did the same thing. It's one story, two phases. For example, we're gonna spend all of our time up in Revelation, the last few chapters this morning. I'm gonna cite many things from the book of Genesis in the first few chapters, but we know Genesis pretty well, and if you're taking notes, you'll see the comparison. We want you to look at what our loving God did after we messed everything up with sin in this beautiful story, which at its centerpiece is the gospel. Nothing we read about that is restored to us at the end of the story is possible without the gospel. Without the gospel, we're in that same lost state with everything messed up that we see in Genesis 3. Let's start with some easy things, and we'll take them chronologically out of Genesis. Consider this. The very first words of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we all know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. We know that. That's Genesis 1-1. In the next nine verses, it tells about God's creation. And in verse 10, Genesis says, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. The earth and the seas, it was good. It was perfect. It was paradise. Wasn't it? It was utopian. It was wonderful. But sinful man messed it up. But sinless Christ took the cross to fix it. And now look at the end result for those who will accept his sacrifice by hearing, believing, accepting, receiving, obeying, and holding on to the gospel. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 3. Man messed up paradise. Christ took the cross, paradise restored. Genesis, uh, Revelation 21, one through three, he says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Paradise restored. Paradise restored. The blood of Christ paid the price. The gospel saved us if we obeyed it, if we received it, if we're living it, the gospel saved us and put us back in the presence of a holy God. That's Revelation 21, 1, 2, 3. Right back in God's presence. In fact, look what he goes on to say in verses 5 through 7. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God, and he shall be my son. The relationship that man lost in the very beginning of the story in Genesis, in the very end of that same story is restored because of the gospel. But there's so many of these parallels. It is is incredible. For example, on the earth, in the beginning, there was darkness. Genesis 1 and verse 5 says, The darkness... He called night. Stop and think about all of the horrible things that happen under the cover of darkness. If somebody's gonna break into your home or people are gonna do all these terrible things, you watch some of these cop shows on TV or whatever, it always happens under the cover of darkness, doesn't it? That's when all the evil happens is under the cover of darkness. However, in this restored and redeemed relationship, At the end of that same story, where in the beginning there was darkness, in the end, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says there will be no night. There will be no night. What was there in the beginning beginning is restored in the end in a more beautiful way even. No more walking in darkness. That's what that means. There'll be no more evil deeds of darkness. There will be no more darkness of any kind whatsoever. In fact, look in Revelation 22, 3 through 5. No more darkness. It's all taken up a level. Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 5 says this There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They'll see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. No more deeds of darkness, no more walking in darkness, no more darkness at all. In the beginning, in Genesis 1 and verse 16, it says that God made two great lights, the sun and the moon. We appreciate the sun, don't we? Appreciate the power, and Karen and I were riding yesterday, and we were looking at all the green from all the rain all around, and boy, the, the chlorophyll is working double overtime right now. The sunshine's just causing all, and we, we love the sun, and we love the warmth, and, and we couldn't exist without the sun, and, and God's creating the sun is a, is a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful light for us, but you know what? <coughs> Greater by far will be the light in heaven At the end of the story, for all who have obeyed the gospel to enjoy for all eternity, Revelation 21 and verse 23 says, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. You think we're going to have better light there than we got here? Consider all of this. Consider that it's one story. In Genesis 2 and verse 17, God told how death would enter the world if man chose to sin. On the day you eat of it, you shall die. God let him know that if they chose to sin, death, death would come if they chose to believe Satan over him. What happened? Man chose Satan, Genesis 3, 1 through 7 was at the point of man's disobedience that sin and sickness and death entered the world. And you know, almost immediately, right after Genesis 3, 1 through 7, right after man disobeys, just a few short verses later, in verse 15 of Genesis 3, you know what God does? God starts letting him know, I got a plan to fix this. I got a plan to fix this. Genesis 3 and verse 15. There's there's going to be this, I'm going to fix this. I got a plan in place to take care of what you have messed up. Of course we know that that Genesis 3 15 relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his coming. We understand that. God was going to send the crown jewel of heaven to be crucified. and He began to hint at that in Genesis 3 and verse 15. And you know because of Jesus, do you know because of Jesus what happens to death? That death that was incurred in the beginning in Genesis 3 when man listened to Satan and sin, do you know what happens to death? Look at Revelation 21 and verse 4, the first line. The end of the story says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. The end of the story is beautiful. You'll recall in the beginning of this one story, there was going to be increased pain and suffering because of man's disobedience. Tells us that in Genesis 3, 16 through 19. Tells us there's going to be this increased pain (coughs) because they had sinned. You know what? at the end of that same story because of the Gospel, because of what we have in Christ, because of the relationship restored, guess what? That pain's gonna not be there. Look what it says in the in the rest of verse 4 of Revelation 21. There shall be no more pain. The pain God said you're gonna get in the beginning because you've disobeyed, at the end that's not gonna be there. He says there's gonna be no more pain for the former things that passed away. The other part of the story is gone. The Gospel has changed everything. In Genesis 3, 17, it says, "Cursed is the ground because of you. In Revelation 22, 3, it says there's going to be no more curse. And it gets even better. It gets better. You ever find a point where you say, man, it just can't get any better. Well, you know what? It gets better. Check this out. In Genesis 3, in verse 1, Satan enters the scene. Satan appears on the scene in Genesis 3:1 as the deceiver of mankind. But because of the gospel, because of the power of God, because it is finally unleashed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what happens to Satan who appeared on the scene in Genesis 3? He disappears from our lives forever. That's an awesome thing. Read Revelation 20 and verse 10. Look what it says. Revelation 20 and verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. He may have showed up in the garden at the beginning, and he may have caused all the sin and sickness and death to enter the world when Adam and Eve bought into that temptation, but that's the beginning of the story. When you get to the gospel, you get to the blood of Christ that broke the power of Satan, you get to the end of the story, Just like he ended the scene, he's gone. It's an awesome thing. What a powerful God we have. Due to their sin, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, we see Adam and Eve driven out of the garden, away from the tree of life, and separated from the presence of God. And it was absolutely nothing they could do about it once they had sinned. They were driven out of the garden, away from the tree of life, and separated from the presence of God, people, because such is the power of sin to corrupt us and to disrupt our relationship with God to carry mankind away from every good thing which God wants for us to enjoy. That's the power of sin back then. It's still the power of sin today. But thanks be to God that that's not the end of the story in Genesis 3:22 through 24. It's not the end of the story. Being kicked out of the garden and away from the tree and all of that and out of God's presence, that's not the end of the story because of the gospel. Enter God. Enter Christ. Enter Christ upon the cross. Enter the gospel. And it all is restored on a higher level. Man's original home was lost because of his sin. And the Bible tells us that man's original home had been by this beautiful, had been in this beautiful garden near to a river. Genesis 2, verses 8 through 10, this paradise next to this river was was utopian. It was beautiful, but it was nothing compared to the restored paradise on a much higher level that God gave us access to through the blood of Christ. Our eternal paradise is also pictured as being beside a river. Did you know that? Look at Revelation 22 and verse 1. The utopia beside a, a, a geographical river, a literal, physical river that man lost when he was kicked out of the garden, so to speak, it's restored at the end of the story. Revelation 22, 1, he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. River restored, only it's better this time. You remember when they were kicked out of the garden, what else I said they lost access to? They lost access to the tree of life, right? Well, under this beautiful gospel plan, through the gospel of Christ, guess what? At the end, access to the tree of eternal life that they lost at the beginning is re-granted through the gospel. Look at Revelation 22, the very next verse. Verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Guess what? We have the tree of life back, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. But that's not all. We also get re-entrance into the very presence of God, which man, when he was kicked out of the garden, lost access to God on that level, walking with God in purity and holiness. But under the new covenant through Christ, the second phase of the plan was for for Jesus to die and restore that on a higher level. Look at the next few verses of Revelation 22. We've read it before, but it's beautiful. Let's read it again. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will serve him. They'll see his face. That's relationship, relationship restored. And his name shall be on their foreheads. And it goes on to say, There shall be no night, no need of the lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. We can walk in the very presence of God once again, but all and only because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, All of those restored blessings that we read about in the end of the story that man lost in the beginning and God has restored on a much higher level, all of those elevated blessings are only promised, hear me please, only promised to those who will hear, believe, accept, receive, obey, and hold fast to the gospel. In fact, I want you to consider what happens to those who won't hear and believe and accept and receive and obey the gospel. God tells us very clearly what will happen to those who don't. They don't get all of those restored blessings on a higher level because their sin is still separating them from God, Isaiah 59, 1 through 21. Their sin is still keeping them out of the presence and away from the paradise of God. It tells us, in fact, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10, it tells us about that time when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. One has to obey the gospel. The gospel is the centerpiece of everything. The gospel is what opens up all of those blessings. None of those are restored if we don't obey the gospel. In fact, he goes on to say that those who don't obey the gospel will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints. <laughs> Let me correct that reference because I know I put that wrong. I said 1 Thessalonians, it's 2nd. Okay. 2 Thessalonians 1 7 through 10 says that. You've got to obey the gospel. The gospel is the centerpiece of everything. So how does one obey the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, that we started out with, it tells us that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's the biblical definition. So in order to obey the gospel, which we have to do in order to have the relationship restored and get all of these blessings at the end of the story, we have to obey the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other plan. This is the only plan there is. Well, how do I obey the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, I, I want that restored relationship, and I realize that sin separated man from, from all of those things, and, and they're available to me on a higher level over here, but I've got to obey the gospel. God doesn't leave something as important as that to our own imagination. Look in Romans 6, 3 and 4. You want to know how to obey the gospel? Because if we don't, we've already seen what happens to us, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. We've already seen that those who don't obey the gospel be eternally separated from Jesus and all those blessings. Romans 6, 3 and 4 tells us how to obey the death, burial, and resurrection. He says in verse three, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, term number one, death. Therefore, we were buried, term number two of the gospel, buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus was raised or resurrected, there we have the death, the burial, and the resurrection. From the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You want to know how to obey the gospel? You've got to obey the death, burial, and resurrection. You want to know how to do that? Right there in Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4. When you are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that's when you obey the gospel. And we need to do that because, as it says in the very last verse of Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Trying to be righteous on our own? We are going to stay separated from God. We're not going to have that paradise. We're not going to have that relationship. We're going to lose everything in the end. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift, God's offering you a gift this morning. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. God says the whole plan from beginning to end was to show you you can't be perfect. You've got to have me. The only way is through Jesus. Jesus lived it all and fulfilled it all. And he was put to death. He was buried and he was raised again. And that's what makes possible all of those blessings, but you've got to go through the death, burial, and resurrection. You've got to hear it and believe it and receive it and accept it and obey it. And all this is yours. It's God's offer. That's been the plan since before Genesis 1. And it will be the plan after time ends. There is no other plan. There is no other way. There is not salvation. There's no salvation in any other name on earth, uh, Acts 4 and verse 12. The point is this, this morning as we close. You have now heard the gospel. You've heard about the death, burial, and resurrection. And you know what? If you understand it, that makes you accountable to it. Question, do you believe it? Are you willing to receive it in the sense that you believe it? And are you willing to accept it by obeying it, by obeying the gospel, obeying the death, burial, and resurrection, and then going on to live a life that puts that old man of sin continually to death and buried while you walk in newness of life? Because you need not only obey it, you need to live it. Or, do you wish this morning to leave this building if you haven't done that? still living in your sins. Jesus told us what would happen if we lived and died in our sins and didn't believe he was the savior. For those people who do that, you are unredeemed, unrestored, and have no hope, and you're without God in the world, according to Ephesians 2 and verse 12. Because once you have sinned, you can only be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, Ephesians two thirteen as you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 6, 3, and 4, which then places you in Christ and properly clothed for Judgment Day, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 7. That's God's plan for you. You willing to receive it? If you're here this morning you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, God's waiting, and if you have been baptized but maybe you haven't been walking in that newness of life, or didn't realize the beauty of the end of the story, and 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 you realize you're falling a little short, and you need the prayers. If there's any way we can help you now, please come to the front as we stand and sing.